Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The church did not hurt you. A few broken people did. Don't give up. You were raised to stay. And we're fighting up against an enemy who doesn't want unity in the house. And if he can make women question their voice, then he silences part of God in the house. Dear Brother in Christ, from a woman's heart of servant leadership, this episode is with Natalie Runyon of Raised to Stay, and she has such a humble heart. I think that's what was so um, attractive about her, even from a social media perspective. And then when I met with her, um, I wanted to find somebody who could talk on this topic without it being cringy and someone who actually has a humble stance about a woman's place, a woman's voice in ministry. Um, and so I think you're in for a lot of perspective in this episode. Um, so anyway, I hope that you tune in with uh, maybe even pray first before listening to this and tune in with your own heart of humility. And for the ladies who are listening, she gives some very good nuggets for you to receive as well. I look forward to hearing your feedback on this episode as we all learn together and dive in together. So on to the interview. Welcome Natalie to the podcast. We're so thankful that you've chosen to be with us today. Oh, thanks you guys for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having a, a chat with the ladies, but a really um, gentle and intentional letter to our brothers in Christ. I think that's part of the title today is Dear Brother in Christ. Yeah. So um, thank you so much for the ministry that you have. It's been inspiring to watch it on social media and now to meet you in person, well, on Zoom. All right. <laughs> But tell us a little bit about um, your story and why your ministry began. Yeah, I was raised a pastor's kid in Cincinnati, Ohio, very conservative, uh, very Republican part of the country um, nope. in the Church of God and very sheltered. I say that I was like a, a kid wrapped in a bubble and bubble wrap. It was okay. just a lot of... Um, church people around me all the time went to public school but was just with the church all the time we lived mm -hmm. in the church parsonage um it was everything that we ate slept and breathed was church life and uh -huh. um ended up getting hurt in the church my senior year of high school my family decided to pull out of ministry which was a huge identity crisis for me mm -hmm. and i ended up in a public university in ohio miami of ohio and really was like, you know, I don't think I'm going to do ministry ever again. Like, I don't really know where I fit in this. I don't really want to get hurt like my parents did. Ugh. And so I ended up majoring in kinesiology and okay. found Campus Crusade for Christ on campus, which was probably okay. a lifesaver, and started leading worship. And that was kind of the gateway for me back into ministry. 
Wow. Um, talk about if you could pause, just rewind a little bit. Talk about the um, like the identity crisis. Why such an identity crisis going from, you know, being in church, everything, eat, sleep, breathe church and then moving into public university? Yeah. You know, because when you're a pastor's kid, it's kind of like your initials, right? It's like, oh, that's Natalie. She's a PK. PK I mean, everywhere yeah. you went, it was like, Oh, does Natalie watch rated R movies? No, she doesn't do that. She's a PK. Or does Natalie, <laughs> is Natalie allowed to date? No, she's a PK. And it, it wasn't mm. really true. It was just kind of what people labeled you as. And sure. then where I was supposed to go to a Christian college where everybody would have known that I was a pastor's kid. Now I'm in this huge state university with a Jewish roommate and homosexual professors and atheist um, you know, oversights and nobody knows about pastor's kid. Nobody cares, you know? Uh, and, and so I have to go in as Natalie and it's like, well, who mm. is Natalie? Like, so the identity shift yeah. was about like the perspective of others. You had totally. this, what everyone thinks of me because I'm a PK versus now nobody knows that I'm a PK. What do people think of me? I'm Natalie. Right. And it's a yeah. pride thing. I mean, I think all of us in ministry struggle with identity on some level because we know God has given us a message and a voice. And, you know, it shifts and it morphs over time and that's uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. so I spent five years being very uncomfortable yeah. trying to figure out like, who am I if I'm not a pastor's kid? And it yeah. was five years of a very interesting uh, revelation, mm. you know? Um, so and, how, did you, I, yeah. how did you answer that question? It was through a lot of failure. It was mm. through trying different things. I uh, moved to Wilmington, North Carolina to be on Dawson's Creek between my my seasons of, of school. And I was just like, I, if I don't know who I am, maybe I should just memorize scripts and be an actress and just be a character all the time. And I think acting was like this way for me to be somebody else. And nobody could judge that. It was a script. It wasn't really me. And so I tried that and the Lord was like, nope, you know, and then I, I was a teacher for 10 years. I taught okay. physical education and I was like, well, maybe I'm a teacher. And, you know, it feels like Dora Expl the Explorer. You know how Dora and Barbie can be anything they want at any given yeah, time? Like, right, right. you want to be a veterinarian? Be a veterinarian. <laughs> I, wanna be I felt like I was just like, put an outfit on me and I could be whatever you want wow. me to be. And um, But I you were searching. It, I was searching and I yeah. didn't hate the church. I was I was mad that people were people. Yeah. Um, but I really knew God had something for me to say, and it just was going to take some time to find that, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the church hurt. I mean, without going into the stories of what exactly happened, what was the message that was sent to you when when you were hurt? That you can't trust anyone. Common. And, yeah. you know, that that's painful in a church that built you. Like when you think you're somewhere where people can be trusted and that people would protect you. And then you're not protected as a kid, especially in your formative teenage years, college years. The message is the church can't be trusted. Mm. So why would I continually put myself into these places where I'm just going to keep getting hurt? Yeah. Um, and self-preservation, I say this all the time, is not a fruit of the spirit. Mm. But we often put ourselves in places where we're self-preserving so we can't get hurt again. Ooh. And that ultimately makes it hard because then it means we won't love again. Mm -hmm. And and I don't want to live like that either. That's so good. You know? Yeah. So you ended up switching careers a couple times, finding probably little windows of impact. I mean, it's a beautiful calling to be a teacher, but you weren't sure, is this what I'm called to do? I mean, you were acting and 
that was probably fun and made an impact. Yeah. At what point did you transition into uh, the type of ministry that you're in today? I was teaching at a Christian school in Cincinnati. It was okay. a beautiful place in downtown Cincinnati. And the people who had started that school, it was a thriving multi-campus. They had a church they were starting. Mm -hmm. And the church they were starting was for people who weren't believers. It was for the wealthiest of the city mm. because they were the wealthiest in the city. They owned everything, right? And they created this church that looked like Harry Potter's castle. It was this beautiful church. And they uh -huh. asked me to be their worship leader. Okay. And they basically were like, we know you want to be a mom. And so we would love for you to be able to leave teaching and be our worship leader. And they brought me in to this group of people who were skeptics and cynics. Mm. And they had been used and abused for having all this money and all churches wanted was their money. And now they finally found this place where they could come in and ask hard questions. And I'm leading worship for people who kind of have their arms crossed looking at me like, Proved to me he's real. Mm, that's a and different I experience. Up, dude, I grew up Pentecostal where all you had to do was hit a minor chord and people started like flipping out. Right? Shouting. I mean, it yeah. was like, you know, they do the song before the song started. And, yep. and here it was like I had to get up there and in 10 minutes teach people how to do this drop from the head mm. to the heart. And it was, you know, six years of that. And yeah. that's really where I wow. realized, oh, my heart breaks for these people. Mm. Wait, I actually do love these people oh like when they hurt i hurt and it was this huge paradigm shift of like no i do love the church and mm. i do have a place in the church it's not my parents ministry it's now my ministry and i'm a woman in a male-dominated environment where they won't let me call myself a pastor yeah. they won't let me really even call myself a leader they gave me the title worship teacher mm, that's funny and <laughs> I just remember them asking me, like, is that okay? And the Lord being like, are you really going to let a title? Yeah. You know, knowing I'd wrestled with identity, knowing I had wrestled with, like, you know, being respected and, yeah. and all of that. Are you going to let something as simple as a title keep you from ministering to my people? And I said, worship teacher it is. And so for mm. about six or seven years, I was their worship teacher. <laughs> I love it. That's so funny. But, I mean, I don't, I don't love that that happened to you, but it's just... It is kind of comical. It reminds me of uh, a story. I, I was talking with a man I really respect, a pastor. Um, I mean, he has incredible theology, uh, some of the best sermons I've ever I've ever heard. And I was talking with him about women in ministry. And, and he actually was of the persuasion that women can't even be teachers. And so I had asked him, you know, and I was trying to really be, be humble in my, my questioning, but I had asked him, I was like, so can women even be like Sunday school teachers? And he was like, well, they're not teaching, they're telling stories. And I was like, I respect you. Like what? <laughs> I was, I was shocked, you know, like it's, it is actually quite like shocking and jarring to hear like people that, that you respect, that you know are well studied in the word come to the table with an argument like that and it sounds similar to you know what you experienced as a you were a worship teacher even though you were leading worship yeah and and you know preaching and you know in between songs like leading people into scripture yeah. leading people yeah. and you know i really learned that my identity cannot become greater than the great commission mm. you know to go and make disciples yeah. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, it wasn't like, okay, you men, you're going to take this section of the go and tell disciples and women, your job is this. It was a mandate mm. for us all 
to go and make disciples. And this is right after Mary is the one who preached that Jesus had risen from the dead. You know, women have a reputation of being shown things in secret places and then declaring good news. And yeah, that's that's the gospel, right? That's is the, the good news. And who were the first people to preach the gospel? It was women. Yeah. And and you know, we we think of it as like, well, men should do this and women should do that. And I think the hard part is that it really silos the body of Christ because even though we each have our own functioning part, hand, arm, leg, whatever our giftings are, if we silo women to only children's ministry where they're with children or only women's ministry where they're with women, then the men of the house are actually missing a piece of who God is. Mm. And so if the only uh, pastors we hear from, if the only leaders we hear from are male, then we're really missing part of the gospel. And that Mm. is for me what is heartbreaking when I hear people say women should remain silent. I want to say, well, you're telling them part of God to be silent. Mm. And I want the whole gospel. I want the whole word of the God. Whole, the whole body that represents Christ. Who Christ is. And yeah. so even, you know, I I am under the um, biblical persuasion that there does need to be order in the house. Yeah. I am not saying that there should be women as senior pastors or women yeah. who should serve on boards. I'm not saying that. Um, I do believe in a covering. My husband is my covering yes. and then God is my covering. And yes. then I'm on a church staff. The church is under my husband and he, that is a covering. Yep. And I'm grateful for the male leaders in my life who have mm-hmm. led me well. So I am not saying that I'm a feminist or that I am going to try to be um, a legal, tal- you know, be all legal about this. Yeah. I want to say is that women can complement men so well, not yes. only in our marriages, but in our covenant with the church. Right. Um, and I I want to hear what both male and female have to say about the heart of God. Mm. And the only way we can do that is if we let women speak and break out of these little boxes that we put them in for our own comfort. Yeah. You know? Yep, exactly. <sighs> I love this. I could ask so many questions in different directions. Um, one, just rewinding back to clarify, because you know a lot of people hear you say like, "I don't want women to be silent in the church," and they go, "Well, Scripture says let the women remain silent." So, how would you respond to the person who uses that argument? You know, our pastor here. Well, we have several pastors, and they preach on that Timothy verse all the time. You know, because mm-hmm. they do empower us to be pastors at the church I'm at. Uh-huh. And I would say that. When, from my understanding, when that whole scripture of women need to be silent came out, women were the women of that time were acting like fools. Mm. They were being disruptive and they were causing chaos. And the Lord is not the author of confusion. Yeah. And so women, yeah, like just like men can act like fools, women can act like fools. Yet mm. we're not telling men to stop talking, you know, yeah. or to not have a voice. And so at the time, the women were being disruptive and. And what I'm seeing now is that women aren't trying to be disruptors, but they are trying to walk out the thing God has asked them to carry. And sometimes that can be disrupting. Sure. Not disobedient, not rude, not combative, not um, divisive. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting that women could walk into a room and I was in sales for years. Okay. So I did a lot of jobs as we've Mm -hmm. already decided. And I could, (laughs) as a five, nine brunette in Uh six inch heels, I could walk in in a full black suit and dominate a room. Mm-hmm. And I could make a lot of money as yeah. a tall brunette in a male-dominated space. Yeah, You put a friend of mine next to me who might be a 5'2 blonde who's not quite as big in her appearance, and she's a little bit more like 
the sidekick, like the mm. pushover, right? That's what they're saying. So okay. this is what how we've in, in business. So that was celebrated in that environment. Being the big voice was celebrated. But in ministry, we have the five nine brunette or blonde who walks into a room and says it to the strength they feel it. I don't think this is how this should be going down. We're mistreating people. Um, their justice button is hot. Women are fighting for the orphan and the widow. Yeah. We're called controlling and Jezebels and terrifying. And our small, petite, blonde friend comes in and kind of says the same thing in a gentle tone, and she's submissive and um, what the church wants, right? Mm. And and we have to stop telling women they're too much or they're not enough. Oof. And I think that's what's happening in the church is you're too much and you're not strong enough. So therefore, we don't know what to do with you at all. And they just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Or we have a toxic woman in leadership who does something that kind of causes some ripples in the water. You know, wow. we don't we don't do much to help restore a woman like we do for men. And yeah. those are just some areas that I'm seeing that I think we can do better in as the church. I don't think most women want to be senior pastors. Mm-hmm. I right. think most women just want to be, be given an opportunity to step into their calling. Yes. Yeah. And I love the way that you framed that. Um, I guess plea is a really strong word, but in a sense, a plea. And uh, and I'll read it just just so that because it's so well written. You wrote uh, and it was a long carousel post. But this piece that you wrote was um, it was Dear Brother in Christ. And it was we want to know that you can accept us in our full femininity, that we don't have to be more masculine to be accepted or more feminine to fit a personal conviction of where women belong. Can we be ourselves? Can we have different hobbies and interests than our male counterparts and still be included in conversations and panels and offer our unique voice? And it just resonated with me. And I think with a lot of the women I work with, I work with a lot of women in ministry, women who are not wanting to be senior pastors, women who have a calling, who have a voice, who are in submission to their husbands, who have a covering of their husband and of a pastor that are saying, I want to lead, I want to minister, and I have a calling from God. I have something I need to proclaim. And, um, and I don't want to be more masculine. I don't want to be the male's role. I, I just want to fulfill my calling. And um, and I just love the way that you framed that. Um, can you share a little bit more about your heart behind that post? Yeah, you know, I think I've when you hit 43, the identity crisis kind of shifts and you go from being like, oh, I hope everybody likes me. To, I don't care if anybody likes me. I just have to get this word out. Right. So my <laughs> black boxes aren't because I'm an expert, it's because I'm learning and I want to take as many people with me on this journey. Um, because if I want to quit, most likely a lot of people want to quit. So let's just have the hard conversations. And mm. that post in particular, I think I was I was writing just based off of some other podcast I had been on with women and the continual cry of our heart of we don't want power, we want passion. <laughs> we want yes. we aren't coming into the church demanding a platform. But man, it would be amazing if we could come in and wear our fun outfits and <laughs> have our fun jokes and and truly be in the feminine heart of God, have authority without having to, you know, become more masculine or lesser versions of ourselves as to become more palatable for men. Yeah. I say in that same post, we're not a temptation you need to be afraid of. We're not lurking in dark corners, wearing our low cut shirts, hoping to seduce you in the offices. Like, yes. I don't know if that's if that's something that is a fear, but most women yeah. 
are happy in their marriages, they're content in their, you know, raising their children. And the church is just one avenue that we have been given to step into our calling. We're not trying to be a trap. Right. We're not trying to cause confusion. And if our very presence in a room causes that much of a problem, then I would say it's not our problem. It's a problem on our brothers. Like there is something broken or unhealed in that organization that makes them leery of women. And that's not our fault. And so can I come in and wear the things that I love to wear? And can I, um, you know, like fashion and like talking about things that women talk about? Um, Can we still talk about sports? Can we sit in a room with our brothers and and joke with each other and it not feel awkward? And we pass each other in the hallway and can you give me a high five or a side hug and tell me that you're proud of me? Like, like that's really what we're asking. Yeah. Uh, but I think the pendulum swings so far of like we either have to avoid our women or we have to give them all of the power. And that's not that's that shouldn't have to be the case. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> so you talked before we got on air about a recent conversation you had around a table um, sounded like a, a business ministry meeting of sorts. And it was about how a, a request you were making. And it was an example of how you could be honored as a woman. Can you share that story? Yeah, you know, I think men, and this is a generalization, so I could be, remember, I'm speaking as one woman in one yes. environment. You know, I think men love promotion. They they see status and positioning as a power, as like, this is my role, this is what I do. And men are very good at putting things in compartments, like, yeah. this is my job at church, this is my job at home, this is my job. Whereas women, we're like the junk drawer in the kitchen. Like, we have to be a lot of things to a lot of people. We wear a lot of hats. And when we're at church, we're also mom. And when we're at home, we're also at church. We we don't really have those compartments. And I was sitting in a meeting and the question was like, what does it look like to honor women? And I said, you know, I think men think that giving a woman in the church the higher position or the only seat at the table or the corner office is a way that they can honor women in the church. And that's not actually what we're asking. What we're asking for is mutual respect. We're asking for you to see the thing that God has put in us that looks different than the thing that he's put in you. And to say, I see it, I celebrate it. And how can we come alongside of you and let you give birth to this thing without it looking like it's a threat to our organization or to our egos? And the question is easy. It's just, do you trust us as the women of your house to carry a gospel in a different way? Mm. And if you do, it's going to look different than when you send us out or when you celebrate us. We're not going to necessarily ask for a platform, but man, to know you're proud of us. Mm-hmm. It goes a long way to have a brother in Christ say, I see what God has put in you and I'm proud of you. And you know what? We probably won't ask for another thing for like six months. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. I love that. Your, um, your ministry is called raised to stay. And, um, can you kind of fill in the blanks? You were sharing the story you got into kind of where you are today, but maybe uh, make that link for us about why this name raised to stay. So after I left that church in Cincinnati, I was hired immediately to come out into Colorado to be a worship pastor at the church I'm at now. And my whole family, we never moved anywhere. I don't know if you're part of families that stay in one spot, but like (laughs) Cincinnati is like the black hole. Like you don't leave. Mm 
And so when we when we made the decision to move to come here, like I think our family would have rathered us told people we were going to Nineveh because like they just (laughs) didn't understand. And we knew we had to be obedient. Yeah. And so my family, my two girls and my husband and I, we move, make the drive from Ohio to Colorado and we get here and, you know, you think, oh, finally, I've arrived. I'm 38 years old. I've I've been in the trenches, done this my whole life. Like, finally, all the things are just going to line up. Mm-hmm. And what I learned is that God didn't bring us here for worship. He brought me here to come to the end of myself so that he could do the new thing. And when I got out here, it was hard. Um, talk about identity crisis. I thought, I'm a worship leader. This is what I do. This is how I've healed. This is, And that was taken within a year. My role was changed and I was under a very um, unhealthy leader. And I remember being on the sidewalk in June of 2019 and telling the Lord, I'm 40 years old. I've done this for 40 years. I think this is a good holy number to tap out on. Like, mm. I have a degree. I have so much experience. I could make a lot more money doing something else. And I'm sobbing on the sidewalk, just in complete um, just anger that it's happened again. Like, at like, why does it keep happening? Yeah. And it was on that sidewalk that I heard the Lord. And I can say this, that's probably happened to me two or three times in my life where I've heard him audibly give me something. And he gave me this phrase, raise to stay. And he said, you know, you've had a common theme in your life, your whole life, where you want to fight for yourself. You want to fight for everybody. And you've never let me do it. You've never let me fight for you. You've never let me represent you. And I tell you in my word, I will. And so I think we need to give this one more try because I didn't bring you out here to be a worship leader. I brought you out here to come to the end of yourself so that I could start and tell you why I really made you. And it was wow. to tell people they can't leave, they can't quit. And by not leaving, they can't leave me. They can't stop abiding in me. They have to believe that people are going to hurt them, but that I'm never going to leave them. And I had to experience it myself, you know? And I went home and I'm crying and I'm like running with the dog, which is really hard to do in Colorado because there's no altitude. Like it were just like insane <laughs> here. We're, we're, we're in altitude. Right. And I get home and I, I Google raise to stay and there's nothing. And the Lord said, write to it, like write to the things that I'm showing you, write to the things that I'm speaking to you and take people with you. And I wrote my first black box that day um, on my main account, my uh, personal account, which I don't mm-hmm. have anymore. It said, the church did not hurt you. A few broken people did. Don't give up. You were raised to stay. And I hashtag it raised to stay. Why I put it on black boxes with white writing, I still don't know. I think uh-huh. I just had to get it out. And that just kind of became what I was known for was writing these black boxes. And for two years, like, I think 1,200 people were part of the community. And we just hit three years and 80,000 followers. And it's just incredible because it's a thriving community now, you know? Right. (laughs) Right. Well, and it resonates with so many people, whether they were a PK or not, but people who grew up, quote unquote, in church, you know, conservative churches, Pentecostal churches where, you know, God's spirit is moving and they've had these experiences. But like, as my husband says, he's an apologist and he says, uh, he quotes Clark Pinnock, my heart cannot delight in what my mind rejects as false. And that's what you experienced. It sounds like in that, um, the church where you were, you know, leading these people who were asking really hard questions and you were trying to lead worship, but you, you had an experience based probably perspective at first yeah and they were asking hard logical questions and so you had that as part of your story then you had this reckoning in Colorado and God saying hey 
Like, yes, you have an experience, but I want you to search further. Yeah. You have answers. You have you have a voice. You have reasons yeah. to believe. And now you that's part of your ministry. Those little black boxes with white words, yeah. you yeah. know, sharing reasons. And the enemy wants us all feeling muted. He wants us all to feel silenced and like we are the only ones who have gone through the things that we've gone through. And I think when you have a um, upbringing of encounter when when it's all Holy Spirit encounter and you're seeing wonders and signs and miracles mm-hmm. and you're seeing all of that, that's one space that kind of keeps you hooked a little bit because you're like, well, I've seen the demons cast out of the people. Right, yes. Because I've seen it, I can't unsee it. But then what, what we're missing then in so many of us is this formation, kind of what your husband is saying. When we have all encounter, then we're always chasing the high. Yep. And then when we have all formation, we're always searching for knowledge. And then we lose this part of us that is made to encounter the Holy Spirit. And so I think we have a generation who doesn't want to be an encounter because they know they're going to have to come face to face with the living God. And they don't want too much formation because it's going to tell them how they should live their lives and nobody wants to be held accountable. And so we're trying to merge these two now of like encounters with a living God and being educated in our formation of scriptures so that we're not being her- heretics running around. Right. Um, but I think the black boxes were an opportunity for me to mesh the two, to say, yeah. look, I've seen the living God and I've heard him. And I've also learned a lot about myself and yeah. what, why we need to deconstruct a little bit, why we need to detangle from some unhealthy things. Um, but God meets us in the middle of all of that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think people quit before the, I think they quit before the breakthrough. And that's what I'm trying to tell people. Like I was ready to quit right before God gave me the largest piece of manna that was going to fall from the sky. Yes, You know, I'm over here like starving and in a desert and God was just about to drop down this thing that was going to answer so many questions. And that came in the form of raised to stay. <sighs> yeah. Wow. So good. Have you found, Natalie, that um, in your ministerial experience, because we are women and we, you know, stereotypically have more sensitive emotions and there is some science behind that, um, that potentially we, you know, we're daughters of Zion. We we are uh, tapped into the spirit in a different way than men, not a, a worse or better way, but a different way. Do you find that sometimes the expectation is that what you bring to the table is your spiritual insight as opposed to your biblical theology and your studies and like maybe that more stereotypical masculine side of things? Yeah, I think that they're, they they want our input, but they're expecting emotion. I think they're expecting... Um, and we'll get right back to the interview, but what we want to do is make you aware that we have a resource around this whole subject of talking with your kids about sexuality, and it's called Having the Talks. And in Having the Talks, we address things like homosexuality, transgenderism, but even just the basics of sexuality, like anatomy and identity. Um, We start the whole deck off with identity, and it's a resource for parents and children to play together. You can play it like a game, and it helps children as young as age three all the way up to teenhood. There's um, really two decks in one because we have questions for younger children. And on the other side of the card, it's a question, same question, but for older children. Yes. And this deck is designed to really bring these subjects up um, organically so that you can um, really have this discussion with them and, and open a safe place 
for you to be an askable parent. So you could go to havingthetalks.com and get your deck and um, it will actually reroute you to Amazon and you can get it tomorrow. Next you, day shipping. Yeah, if you ordered it today. All right, link in the show notes. Back to the interview. Um, when you get a woman who's overly emotive or overly controlling, they're kind of not sure what they're going to get and it just takes so much time to build trust it, at those tables. The biggest thing I've learned as a woman is as much as I want to talk, because, you know, women, we love to, to process and things, is that when I sit at a table for the first time to be the best listener I can be and to not cause anybody to flinch. And that might not mm. sound fair, but I think that when we're given a seat at the table, be it the only seat for a woman or one of few, that discernment is key in how we choose to use our voice around men who may have a really bad experience. I remember being at that church in Cincinnati and they taught me so much. They taught me, listen, you're talking to people who are in boardrooms every day. They make millions of dollars. And the only sound of a woman that they hear in their head is either their really hateful CEO that makes their life a living nightmare or their teenage daughter who their her wine goes to the quick of their core. And so when you speak, you have to speak more like a CEO and less like a teenage daughter. Oof. So when I go into a boardroom with yeah. a bunch of men now, or I go into a church room with a bunch of men, I lower my my tone. I keep my words calm. I think through what am I about to say? Is it emotive or is it discerning? Like I'm telling you, we as women have to go the extra mile to make sure that we don't ping somebody's PTSD from uh, hateful women in their lives. That's so a when, solid you know, word. <laughs> when I lead worship, I'm an alto. I have a lower voice. I go in and when I do transitions, I am quick. I am not whiny. I try really hard not to cry because you don't want for any man to immediately tap out because now you remind them of their daughter who's going through some sort of like psychotic, <laughs> you know, midlife right. crisis. And yeah. men don't have to worry about that. There are just so many things as women in ministry where we have to face that our our brothers just don't. Yeah. So I'm curious on your perspective on this. Um, by the time this airs, we will have aired within the last couple few weeks an episode with um, feminine, not feminist, Annalise. I don't know if you've heard of her. Um, fantastic gal. And she shared, uh, I loved her heart on this where she said, you know, we're not trying, it's not a power struggle. We're not trying to gain the power. And we talked about that whole future is female comment. You know, we're not trying to replace men. Um, and, you know, when it comes to the marriage, we're not trying to say, you know, I want to be the same. Uh, we're different. We're complementary. Um, can you talk a little bit about your perspective on um, like that view of the woman's role in the marriage and then probably how that how that plays out in ministry as well? Yeah, I mean, my marriage is different in that my husband's not in ministry. He was a baseball player for 15 years and now he's in sales, but he grew up in the church. And when we were married, I wasn't in ministry. I was a uh, personal trainer and a teacher. Mm -hmm. And so we joke like he didn't sign up for this. Like, yeah, we but in our marriage, he is the pastor of our home. Even yeah. though I carry the pastor title in a church, he is the one who is making the decisions. And he's the one who prayed with me if we were supposed to come here. It wasn't like Natalie was dragging her husband by his tie across the country. Right. I mean, we both wept over the Lord telling us to go. And he said, we have to go. I think we're going to find that God has something for us there. And so 
my submission to my husband is a hundred percent, even though I'm a strong personality and I have a lot to say. Um, Tony is actually more pastoral than I am, I think, in a, in a lot yeah. of ways. And he's the reason why I've been taking risks right now. He's the reason why Raise the State exists. Mm-hmm. Um, other than the, than the Lord, he's the only one who hasn't let me quit. And so yeah. I think in our marriage, we complement each other well because I am very aware of his role in the biblical role of marriage. Mm-hmm. And I'm very aware of my role. And when you're confident in that, you're not in that power struggle. I think the difference is you come into a church environment where marriages aren't healthy or where other leaders aren't respected by their wives or they feel like their wives are fighting for more power in the relationship. And we remind them of that. And so we have to know that even though our home is in order, the homes around us might not be in order and the church is not perfect. And so we as women are stepping in trying to be complementarians we're trying to be encouragers and we're fighting up against an enemy who doesn't want unity in the house and if he can make women question their voice then he silences part of god in the house and so that's why i think it's so important that the men and women of the church are in constant communication preach it (laughs) you know i I know it sounds crazy but we can't communicate too much and and churches, please, you cannot only make one seat at the table for one woman. That's why women are competitive is because they're fighting for one seat, one microphone, one part on the praise team. The women in your church should not be the doo-wop singers to your main worship leader who's a man. Like, If you only make room for them when they get to be the next best thing, you'll never have unity within your women because they'll be in constant competition. Mm-hmm. And we know that competition kills creativity. So you're already up an uphill battle when you pit women against each other. Yep. Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. So it uh, sounds like you and I are both blessed in that we operate and minister in environments where women do have a voice. Um, my uh, bishop, his wife is like a very strong woman leader in our church. Um, and then, you know, our senior pastor, uh, his wife is a very strong woman leader. Uh, their daughter-in-law is like one of our main worship leaders. And, uh, and so I see this played out in a healthy way. Um, often talk to the people who are in an environment where that's not the case. How can they have some hope here if they feel this calling and it's really just stifled? You know, I always say that God will always um, honor honor and that humility is the way forward. And I know there are denominations that I work with closely that do not give women a voice at all. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, you want to be part of our conference? We'll actually make a women's conference so that we don't have to have you part of our conference. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get that. And yeah. I've, I remember going into this church in Cincinnati and feeling almost like that's what I was walking into was a compromise mm. of who I was and what my convictions were and that justice button that lights up so quickly as it does. But I will say this, if God has called you to a house, honor in that house will be a kingdom currency. And we we don't realize how far our honor will go when we're in a healthy environment. So even if you may not be given a platform or a microphone or a voice, if you are loved well and you're trusted, you have no idea how much authority God is going to give you. And there will come a point where that favor will run out. You'll you'll hit the end of a favor and you'll know it's time to move on. Mm-hmm. And that's not a sign of weakness or you quitting. That's just going. And going and leaving are two different things. And I think a lot of women are loyalists. And so we feel like, oh, you know, if I quit 
or if I walk away, then I'm not loyal to a house. And it's like, no, God will use us in different seasons. And sometimes that means go away and and moving into an area where you can use your voice and your talents more easily. Yeah. Um, so, but I, but I do think that for a lot of our women who are in more of abusive environments where they're being completely silent, that's really between you and the Lord on whether or not you should stay in that place. Remember, when we get to heaven, we're not going to get awards for longevity in a, in, a, in a certain church. Like, oh, congratulations, you were there 25 years. That's, that's not the goal. The goal is not how many years can I stay in a place and survive. <laughs> it's how long can I abide to the vine while I'm here on this earth and not just survive, but thrive, living a kingdom life. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a church where you're being abused or silenced or mistreated as a woman, it might be time to go, but only yeah. the Lord can tell you when to go. But if you're a woman in a house where you're being honored, you're just not being given a platform, two things you can do in this, start something on your own. Raised to Stay is not in an extension of my church. Raised to Stay is Natalie Runyon's ministry, Raised to Stay. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I do on the soil of New Life Church is under the covering of my leaders, and I walk in honor and I walk in humility in that role. So if you know if you don't see something for you, start something. Um, and that's that puts the responsibility back and the onus back on us. There you go. I like that. I like the distinction too between like if you're not in an in an abusive environment, but you're just not being given a voice. You know, you, you have honor. Um, yeah. Then help shift that perspective, and the onus is on you. You can start something. Yeah, and women get called divisive all the time because we we do kind of shake things up and we we talk a lot and we get emotional. <laughs> but honestly, like sometimes just by other people watching us honor and watching us start things, it empowers them to do the same. And we may not be the ones to break open the change in that church, but we will start showing other women how to do that. And we begin to model what mm-hmm. we want to see happen. And it may be 10 years from now, but we leave a a legacy in a different way. Yes. I love this emphasis um, on difference, right? It's not better or worse. It's not trying to be the same. It's intentionally different the way God designed us to be. Yeah. And I show up and I wear sequin suits and I'm crazy. (laughs) Like if you, if you see me, I am, you see behind me now, I have all this like shiny stuff behind me. I am, I have had to just learn to love myself as a woman. Yeah. And then I've also learned that the way that men see me treat other women is I'm teaching them how to treat women. Mm -hmm. So if they see me supporting women, they're going to support women. If they see me honoring my sisters, they're going to want to honor. But if I'm backbiting and talking about them behind closed doors and trying to pull other women down, we're giving men permission to do the same. And so it's really important that the church sees women in unity. I love that. That's a whole nother arm that we could do an episode on. (laughs) Well, as we come to a close, Natalie, um, share with us your resources, where people can find you, how they can get a hold of what you've put out there. Um, Just talk a little bit about that. Uh, Instagram is our largest community by far. And, you know, I try to uh, respond to DMs and everything, but it is me running the account. Um, It's just under Raise to Stay on Instagram. And then Facebook, I have a private Raise to Stay group. Okay. And then I have a personal one, just Natalie Runyon, where you can share the black boxes on Facebook. It's public, so anybody can join. Nice. And then my book comes out in July, Me in America, on July Yay. 4th. 
Um, Free orders are available already on Amazon. We're number one in like two categories just off pre-orders. Yay. So it's called Raise to Stay, Persevering and Ministry When You Have a Million Reasons to Walk Away. Mm -hmm. And it really is beautiful. I am so proud of it. And my publishers are crushing it. Um, We're just thrilled to get this message out. And so, yeah, grab a pre-order and let's keep it flowing in all of the different uh, avenues. So good. Okay, well, we will put your handle in um, the show notes and then we will also put the link to the pre-orders on Amazon. So folks, go pre-order her book, especially if this is something you're struggling with right now on like, Lord, kind of where Natalie was um, just a few years back where you were saying... I think I'm done. 40 years yeah. in, I've put in a, g- a good amount of time. Yeah. And then the Lord might be nudging you like, no, you were raised to stay. Yes. So go go grab that book and it'll come in July. And I know it'll bless you. I'm looking forward to reading it myself. Oh, thank you so much, you guys. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so last question. We asked this question to all of our interviewees to close out the episode. And that is, rewind back to the first couple years of your marriage and think about the advice that you wish you would have received and then fill in the blank. Dear young married couple. Oh, man. Oh, here's here's what I'm learning. Dear young married couple, you and your spouse are going to always be changing, you'll always be learning, and you will always be growing. And there is grace for every season. There is grace for every argument, for every reconciliation. And the heart of the Father is for you. And if he is for you, who can be against you? So hold on, because with each season, man, God shows up in such a sweet way. Love that. Thank you so much, Natalie. Yes. You have been um, an encouragement. You said that earlier that as women, we are encouragers and you have definitely been an encouragement in this episode. So thank you for thank you. your voice. We appreciate yeah. you. Thanks guys. All right, friends. We really hope that you got a ton out of today's conversation. And if you want help, if you want personal guidance with individual counseling or couples counseling, or even help with you as a couple reaching the goals you have, just reach out. Give us a call at 916-678-1797 or shoot us an email at hello at dearyoungmarriedcouple.com. No matter where you are in the world or in your marriage, we can set up a counseling session with you and we can work toward progress. We also post marriage advice regularly on our Instagram, which is at Dear Young Married Couple. And we'd love for you to join us in conversation there. All right. See you next week.